This is the Straight Dope Podcast. I got to thinking about a couple things, and I thought, man, it might be fun to come on and talk about one of my past experiences without too much kind of front-loading the information and see what you think about kind of the what I what I or, or try to relate to what I was going through um, at the time, and then hopefully that'll lead into some of my thoughts on some of the current internet discussions that are going on. But before I do that, I want to tell you to go over to MileHighShooting.com and get stuff. They are having sales. They have everything that you need, and they're an awesome shop. I want you to go check out AccuFireTech.com. Check out their Omnis Digital Spotting Scope. It's badass. And if you're looking for a cheap but rugged um, uh, what do you even call it? Uh, magnified optic. Blah. Brain fart. Uh, I have been beating up their Atro 20, and, and it's been doing a good job um, not breaking. Now, the subcast, I'm going to be talking about a little bit of wind stuff that I've been working on that's had some pretty good results. So if you're a subscriber, uh, make sure you head over to the subcast and listen to that podcast. But if you want access to that, you got to be a subscriber. So go to riflecraft.com. It gives you upgraded analytics. It gives you the subcast email or the sub comms email and then the subcast podcast plus other things and discounts and so on and so forth um but you know the stick so there's been stuff going on on the internet that inspired me or it didn't inspire me but it reminded me of a time where it was pretty head scratching but you know the way that I live I you know I'm not obviously like now I don't I don't work in the realm of science and I don't and, and I, in fact um, you know, I'm not really even an athlete or anything like that anymore. I'm just a dude who likes to shoot and talk about shooting. Um, but there was a time, and growing up my whole life, my, my family is scientists, so, so we were always encouraged to think and think about causes and roots and kind of be curious about how everything works and, and explore. And that's probably why I don't ever fall into like a particular niche of interest because I'm curious about how things work. And I'm curious about scenarios where, where they don't work and trying to find, you know, where are the left and right limits of just about everything that I do. I'm kind of trying to push those limits left and right, not necessarily perfect something right in the middle. Um, so, but nonetheless, like figuring out shooting, like there's a, there's a lot that goes on with shooting. And I'm very, very curious because that's, that's what I like about shooting. I don't particularly like any style of competition. I don't particularly like any caliber. I don't particularly like anything more than anything else. And I think it's silly when people get down rabbit holes and, you know, declare that whatever they do is the ultimate because uh, that's just not true. So, but before I get uh, too way off course, I'm going to describe to you an experience I had. Now, some of you I've talked to you this about, and it's pretty funny, but um, I want you to imagine what you would do. And and you might not have, ex- you, you, you may give up before you know, before I did, and you may have done more, and you may have already figured out how to fix the problem, but troubleshooting is a lot of what happens with people who own firearms and go to competitions, and so this was kind of my attempt earlier on with, with you know, not much experience at all with troubleshooting stuff, but I think it's a good story, and I think it's also uh, kind of funny and to me, somehow, oddly, it relates to something that happened on the internet recently, and um, I'll get to that later. So, I got a scope from a reputable scope company. You know, I'm not going to throw anybody under the bus. It was a good scope, and I was 
uh, hand loading at the time. So this is before COVID. And when I did wind stuff and when I, um, you know, a lot of times I would just load up and then I would chronograph it and then I would go dope it at distance before I went to a competition. Probably sounds like what some of you guys do. And I didn't have a good system for loading. So I would load up and I would, you know, do all those things. And at some point I'd be like, all right, this is pretty good. And let's go dope it to distance. So I would chronograph it and I would get a speed. And then I would plug it into my Kestrel, I'd plug it into BC. And then like many of you, I would walk it out and I would kind of try to wrap my head around what I had heard about. Okay, well, I chronographed it with my magneto speed. I entered the BC from the box. I got all the data that's inputted into my Kestrel appropriately. And now I'm going to walk it out and make sure that it matches up on plates at distance. And I can drive out to some public land. At the time, I was driving out to public land at the Pawnee Grasslands. And I would put out some plates and, and uh, you know, just drive out this road and put them down. And then um, sometimes I would just drive away from the targets to increase distance. And sometimes, you know, I would have them out there at fixed distances. And then I would just get to a point where I would shoot at them um, and do, do other things back there. Now, uh, Frank and I shoot it at his ranch. And so uh, I don't have to do as much of that. But at the time, that's what I was doing. So I get out there and I check my zero. Zero's good. And um, my, my friend Austin Angus, he makes targets for a lot of people locally, but he has AA targets. And he does a great job, you know, good quality construction, solid steel. Like, he's an amazing guy. And I, all the steel that I own is AA target steel because, um, you know, he's my buddy and he can cut it here locally and, and he'll entertain cutting it to odd shapes and do all that stuff. And I just like hanging around him because he's an awesome dude. I had some eight inch targets from him and some hangers that I would pound in, uh, with a sledgehammer. You know, I just put the stand, bang, 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 uh, made out of AR 500 also, or 550 or whatever, you know, super heavy duty, you know, bulletproof. And I would put, um, eight inch squares and then, or eight inch circles. And then I would usually do that around three or 400 yards. And I kind of knew where to drive to, to be in that range of three or 400 yards. And then there was like five or 600 yards. I kind of knew where that range was. And typically what I put there were kind of rectangular targets, almost like a 66% IPSC. But the point is like, you know, they were about 20 inches tall and about 12 inches wide. So when, as I was in, you know, as I shoot, because wind is a big deal and because competition targets tend to be taller than they are wide and, and that's, that, that plays into the competitive, you know, this, the shape and style of targets. But, you know, two MOA isn't so bad. So these targets, they're two MOA wide about, you know, the, at the eight inch target at 300 is um, a little bit more. And uh, the eight inch target at, at 400, right, is two MOA. So in their, their square. So, um, you know, it's two MOA wide. So I can, I can do the wind stuff. I can kind of calibrate it. And then it's got good elevation. And then as they go out, I have these rectangles that hang and they're about 20 inches tall, 12 inches wide. And then usually around a thousand, 800, 900, a thousand, I've got these 20 by 20 squares that I put out there. And, you know, that's about as big as I want to like carry and put out there. Um, they're good and they're big and you can paint them to, to show the marks and measure and so on and so forth. So at the time, those were kind of the dimensions of the plates that I was shooting. So I'd go out, I check my zero and I shoot bang, right? Impact. Great. My zero's good. Great. Like most of us, you know, sometimes you have a, uh, when you check your zero, you might be a 10th left or a 10th high or 10th low or 10th right. And I was starting to catch on to the fact that day to day zero variability 
was a thing, and I didn't quite attribute it to me. This is kind of before some of the rifle craft stuff. Uh, I wasn't sure if it was the Zero, and it was also a new scope and new rings. I was still kind of like learning about every little detail of shooting equipment that was important, and so I wasn't quite sure what information I was getting or hearing about was true, and all of the books don't really talk about troubleshooting in that way. So, you know, I think one of the best books that's ever been made about long-range shooting is Ryan Kleckner's book, The Long-Range Shooting Handbook. It's just a good, practical book. And, I'm, you know, I, I've read that thing a lot of times. I think that the more experience I get with shooting, the more I realize how valuable that book is. Um, and then, of course, Brian Liss's uh, multiple books. I don't have any of his new books, but those are good for figuring out you know, the math and the science and understanding like what, what, what are factors that play a role in this specifically. But on the other hand, it doesn't bridge the gap between like, you know, the, the, the knowledge that you're getting and then the practical use of it, like the long range shooting handbook. So I spent a lot of time like kind of exploring that and looking at the videos that they, cause it, it, you know, at the time it didn't really make sense. Anyway, shoot 300 impact. All right, cool. And, and I, I was like, well, it's a little bit low. So, but it's like, well, my zero could have been low that day. I, I, have my, I have my notes from my shooting log there right here in front of me. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to it a little bit about that because some, some of the things I wrote down, it, it's clear that I've grown as a shooter since then. But um, I, I shot three shots, and one of them was centered. One of them was a little bit lower than that, and one of them was a little bit lower than that and the wind was off so I, I guess my first shot was probably the low one that was off by a little bit of wind and then there were um, two other shots but it was they were a little bit low at 300 and I didn't think anything of it and I shot 400 and and I hit there but they were also a little bit low so I'm so so I what I wrote there is maybe my velocity's off and I didn't trust the information that was coming from my magneto speed because one of the bayonets that I had didn't give me the same reading as another bayonet. So I had already started to question that. And I had already bought one of those booms that attached. And when I attached it to the barrel and when I attached it to the boom, I would get different readings too. So I had already had some developing suspicions on the magneto speed. So you could see here that I was thinking, well, maybe my velocity's off. And it's probably not uncommon, or you've probably also heard too, like you shoot, you chronograph, you verify vel velocity around 600, and then you verify BC at a distance. And what that distance is kind of depends who you talk to. One, you know, for, for people that are more scientific about it, it's right before the transonic kind of zone. And then for people that are less, it's just, you know, distance, right? 1,000, 1,100, 1,200, whatever. But it's not the velocity that you're truing at that distance because there's environmental effects and so on and so forth playing a role in it or whatever. But this isn't a talk about that, so I'm kind of trying to scan by it. But I, you could see here that, you know, I got, a, I got a low impact at eight or a 300 yards. I got a low impact at 400 and they're just, it's consistently low. So I, so I have zero underlined and I have velocity underlined. Right now, they're consistently kind of in that same spot, and so then I go to 600, and at 600 I got that uh, that 20 inch uh, 20 inch tall by 12 inch wide uh, rectangle, and um, what I have here is um, I, I hit all I took a lot of shots at it, and they were all in the lower half of the plate. So 
Uh, most of them I hit, but they were all in the lower half of the plate. So I tried to adjust my velocity. But when I adjusted my velocity, I noticed that I almost had to come up to center it 200 feet per second. And I, that didn't seem right, right. That doesn't seem like an appropriate adjustment to bring it up you know, from you know, being a couple inches low you know, that, that just doesn't sit right, right? So something didn't feel right to me. So then I have another day. So I must have gone home at that point and then come back, and I re-chronographed it, and the chronograph had the velocity more or less the same, right? Checked my zero, fine. Hit low at 300, hit low at 400, hit low at 600. And then uh, I missed at a thousand. So I put up the 20 inch plates and I missed at a thousand. I started to mess with velocity and BC. And anyway, I got somehow I lined it up with adjusting velocity and then adjusting BC. But the numbers, I'm not even going to tell you, they were dramatically altered, but repeatable. Then I had a hard data card for distances and I wrote it down. And I had, I actually have my hard data card from impacts in those conditions and they were consistent. And those matched for three consecutive days. So I have a hard data card. I can shoot targets any distance and hit them just right. They just don't work in my ballistics calculator. I can't get the ballistics calculator to line up and hit just right. So I go back to 100, shoot 300 low, 400 low, 600 low, miss at 1,000 when I put in the right data. Then I adjust it, and I can kind of get it to work, but some of them are high, some of them are low. It's just not totally right, but I don't quite get it. And at that point, you know, I wasn't competitive. I was just kind of learning. And it didn't, obviously, I didn't, I didn't figure it out. Now, I'm going to stop and ask you to, to tell me or tell yourself, like, what was the problem? I, my guess is, unless I've talked to you about it specifically, which I don't, I don't remember how many people I've talked to about this, not top secret, but it's also like hard for something like this to come up in conversation. It's not. It's it's not like oh yeah, I knew that. Like it's not super obvious. Um, what do you think it is? Was it that I put in things wrong in the kestrel? Was it the was it the barrel burned out? Was the you know was I using crappy bullets? Was my hand loading not good? Remind. I'll remind you that if I go out with my hard data card, I can hit dead center at all the distances that I got my hard data card in, right? And that is repeatable regardless of the computer, which does say very strongly that you want to have a hard data card. And, you know, nowadays people aren't keeping, it's not as common to have a hard data card like the old military guys. When you talk to them and they've got their tried and true um, record of this is the true data on this temperature at this atmosphere and so on and so forth, there's something to be said for that because when things don't line up and you're banging your head against the wall because somehow your kestrel doesn't match, the kestrel isn't like the primary thing here. We think of it like that, but really the bullet's the bullet. And the bullet's always going to go to the same spot in the same place at the same elevation under those same conditions. And so reality is the bullet tells you the reality. But we get dead set on, shit, this kestrel isn't working. Maybe because we paid a lot of money for it, right? So what did I do? I went out and got a different Kestrel. I thought, shit, something's wrong with this. So I got a, a, a different Kestrel, and the same thing happened. So it was like, crap, all right, well, now I got two Kestrels. I got multiple bayonets for my magneto speed. I got all these. I mean, everything says that the data that I have inputted is correct, but for some reason, it's just not lining up. 
okay, I don't even know what to do. I think I probably went to a competition, and at that time I was doing all sorts of tests, and I was going and shooting and, you know, just learning. I wasn't even thinking about score or whatever. I mean, you want to shoot as well as you can, but, you know, there were so many things that were wrong when I went to comps. that, And that can carry, as I continued to learn, and then when I went into training for Assassin's Way, I deliberately went to competitions with, you know, fireformers or the wrong caliber, different weight rifles to try to test even more the limits of how do you understand what you're working with, thinking that maybe we would be given guns that we weren't familiar with and calibers we weren't familiar with. So, like, how do you figure out everything that you need to figure out as analog as possible? That was my goal. But at this time, that wasn't that wasn't the case. But I had my hard data card, and so I started drawing out the trajectories on graph paper. I, I just couldn't figure it out. And everybody that I asked had a different answer. Well, you you know, something's wrong. You're entering something wrong. It's your fault. Okay, I believe it. But I, I'm visual, so I started graphing everything and graphing everything. And, and the arc looked really good. And the, the, the deviations had a pattern that were consistent. And, but it was consistent in a way that, that hadn't quite registered to me yet. And so visualizing it on graph paper and my drop, I'm like, man, this drop, like it's not screwed up. It makes sense. It's predictable. I could predict where it's going to be based on the impact data on these plates. Now, I wasn't the world's greatest shooter. I you know, I'm still not the world's greatest shooter, but at the time I hadn't developed the craft drill. And when I started to wrap my head around the craft drill, I was shooting about three and a half inches, just like, you know, in fact, that's a little bit better than average. If you take somebody that, that doesn't shoot, you know, super well and hasn't shot a lot on paper, they're very surprised to see that their craft drills are about three and a half inches. And the, the, the group of skeptical bolt handlers that, that I started on Facebook back then, um, Kalen and Phil and, um, Andy and Colin and, and, and Dave and all those guys that were on there. I started posting pictures of my paper targets, asking them what they thought, what if, if they would do it. I wanted to see the numbers, the sizes, and I was using some of the NRL 22 targets at that point that were about three inches, and it was pretty much filling up those three-inch targets with lots and lots of repetitions. And I was doing 10 positions, not four positions, and there's was, there was a lot of variables in there, but you know, my, my group shooting had enough inconsistency that... You know, if I if I'm shooting at targets and I'm hitting plates, I'm just psyched that I'm hitting the stupid plate, right? I'm not shooting at a level of some guys that are shooting now, where you know you expect it to be within a you know quarter of an inch of your point of aim, you know, and 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 if it deviates from that, something is screwed up. That that wasn't um, a part of my reality at the time. And then it dawned on me that. The trajectory that I saw and the consistency, I started to backlog the average data into Excel. So I got pretty nerdy about this. And lo and behold, the ratio of the deviations as I went out at distance matched the deviations between mil and MOA. Holy shit. I was given a scope with mill turrets and MOA internals. I'm not talking about the scopes that you hear about that have like MOA elevation and mill wind or mill elevation and MOA wind. This was a mill scope that had MOA internals. Basically, the cap that went on it was a, a mill cap, but the inside of the scope was an MOA scope. And it had a mill reticle on the inside 
right? So the internals for the erectors uh, were in MOA, not mills. Okay, like uh, that's a QC issue, but there's no way that I could figure out or even wrap my head around how or why that happened, but it matched, and then I crunched all the numbers, and then I sent it back to the company, and I said, this sounds crazy. I know this sounds crazy. I've never heard anything like this. I truly believe 100% that this is a MOA scope with, with mill turrets or mill cap or something like that. They verified it and responded, yes, that is what happened. We're sorry. We'll send you a new scope. Okay, cool. Now, I've spent a lot of days out there driving back and forth, beating my head against the ground, trying to figure out why in the world my numbers and my ballistics didn't line up. Now, for, for one reason or another, that happened. But I want to point something out really quick. I made it to 600 yards dialing up a mill elevation turret with MOA internals, and I was getting impacts on basically competition-sized plates. Now, that sounds crazy, right? But that's what leads me to thinking about the thing that was happening on the internet recently where people were making fun of somebody shooting MOA, uh, an MOA scope because, you know, the people that are on the internet that have a large uh, signal-to-noise ratio, even though their community is very small of competitive shooters, uh, uh, compared to the community at large, like hunters and other people, you know, MOA is the more popular scope in the country. But amongst uh, a lot of competitive rifle shooters, milscopes are commonly used. And it's just a, because your, your buddies do it. Not, I don't think there's really any advantage to the milscope um, one way or the other. But, I, but this is what raised the question was, um, I had a mill cap and MOA internals, and I didn't know it, and I was getting impacts to about 600 yards, and even though they were low, I was just adjusting and adjusting and adjusting, but you know, you're talking about coming up a few clicks here and there. So um, I went back and I looked at my dope, and I looked at the things that I was hitting, and at 300 yards, it was, and now I wanna, actually I'm gonna back up a sec. I'm gonna say that, you know, your dial, what, do you, what happens when you dial up? You have a little ruler on there, and it goes up in clicks. Right, so I'm I'm going to be talking about clicks here. Right, so at at 300 yards, at um, at, at 300 yards, I was coming up nine clicks. Well, in MOA to be appropriate, it would be 13 clicks. Right, which is, but based on your shooting, I'm going to talk about the de- the the deviation. Right, plus or minus. So, um, it's so at 300 yards, you're plus or minus two clicks from center. Right. So if I went up 11 clicks, I would be plus or minus two from MOA and mill. If I, at 400 yards, if, if, if I went up um, 19 clicks, I would be plus or minus three clicks from mill and MOA. Three clicks, three-tenths, basically, right? So if a target is two MOA, and you're in the middle of that zone, you're going to hit it with 19 clicks up, whether you're in mill or you're in MOA. You're not going to miss a target at 400 yards that's 2 MOA if you shoot well, if you dial between the clicks of mill and MOA. Now, you wouldn't, obviously, you don't know that in advance, but if you split the difference, you're plus or minus 3 tenths, which gives you 6 tenths, and 2 MOA is 0.72. Now, some of these targets are taller than they are wide, right? Well, wind drift is wind drift. At 600 yards, 
I was plus or minus six tenths, right? Now, six tenths is a lot, except that I was shooting a 20-inch tall target, right, which is over three MOA, which puts the targets basically, puts the impacts, you know, on the high or the low end of that plate. And then, and that's where I realized, wow, I got to adjust my velocity a little bit. And I adjusted my velocity a little bit, but you would either be coming down or you would be coming up and still hitting this basically 66% IPSC at 600 yards. If you split the difference between mill and MOA, if you're basing it on the clicks that you come up. Now I've heard some people say, well, I, I wouldn't shoot at MOA, MOA because you got to go, you got to come up so much to hit a target. And I think what, what they're trying to say is like, if you have to come up, um, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, 11 MOA. It, it, you, it sounds like a lot to you thinking I got to come up 11 MOA, right? Not thinking that that is 44 clicks, right? 44 clicks is like 4.4 mils in terms of click value, right? And so um, when it comes to the actual travel and clicks, the deviation really isn't that much, right? You're talking about a tenth in either direction at two MOA, right? Or one click, right? So, 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 so at two MOA, you're going to be eight clicks in MOA, right? And um, in in mills, that's going to be uh, point point seven two, so seven seven clicks instead of eight, right? So. You're one, you're you're half of a click off, right? Or you're one less than a tenth off at dialing up, down, left, right. Now I dial wind, and so and I can't see my wind turret because I'm a right-handed shooter and I'm shooting with my right eye and I can't see my. So I've developed this last year. I've developed the sense of really paying attention to and almost like feeling like braille the number of clicks right and left. And I'll do it dynamically on a stage without looking based on the feel of the clicks of the turret. Now, if I was dialing right or left four clicks, I can feel da, 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 da. And if I did that and that turret was mill or MOA, it would make no difference, right? Because four clicks, da, 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 we're talking about four tenths or we're talking about one MOA. Well, 0.36 is one MOA. So you're going to be 0.04 mils difference, right? four hundredths of a mil difference when you're dialing left or right based on just the feel of the click. So then I looked up the PR2 reticle because people say like, oh, you know, we're making fun of you because you have a MOA PR2 reticle. And when I look at it, the PR2 reticle is in quarter mil adjustments. So, you know, you got 0.25 mils, then half a mil, then 0.25 mils, then half, then, uh, then one mil, right? So, so you got that 25, 50, 75, which basically how the clicks and the gradations on MOA are 25, 50, 75. And when you line them up, they are really effing close, right? Now, the MOA reticle is in one, two, three, four, right? There's not those sub-tensions in terms of windage, uh, and I'm talking about windage because windage is really the critical factor here. You can't see the wind turret. So when you go, if if you're at 0.25 right, are you going to dial 0.2 or are you going to dial 0.3 or are you going to dial, right, or can you dial 0.25? Now, I don't, uh, um, you know, in terms of, of the click value when you're dialing the wind right and left, 
let's say you're going to hold, you know, uh, 0.7 right. Well, I'm going to dial and I got seven tenths right. And then that seven tenths is four away. Oh, I just dialed the same number of clicks to the right. Now, visually, the space that it takes because it's angular measurement, if I'm at 20x or I'm at 15x, that visual space that it occupies is also the same visual. I'm looking at a target. I'm looking at a landscape, and that ruler isn't that much far off. Those those gradations that were put there visually by whoever designed that reticle in mil and MOA, the spacing in space, even though the numbers are different, you know, it'll say four MOA is the big column, right? Well, four MOA um, is uh, one. 1.4 mils or something like that. But we got the, and in a mil reticle, it's one mil is, is usually a thing. So it's a little bit further, but it's not that much further. So visually, in terms of the space occupied by the subtensions and the adjustment value there, I would be willing to say that a good shooter could get used to using it in MOA in one rain session, right? One, that's my challenge. And so I offered to buy this guy's scope that said, hey, you know, I took everybody's recommendations. I bought the scope and I don't like it. Um, and, and I guess I didn't, it didn't seem like a lot of grief considering the stuff that people toss out there on the internet, especially competitive shooters. But um, I offered to buy the guy's scope and then not only would I buy it from him, but I'd compete with it because I really don't think that, uh, you know, somebody who thinks their way through their shooting and has a visual and tactile technique, I don't think that there is an ass bit of difference between mill or MOA whatsoever because, you know, every person that teaches out there talks about translating wind to miles per hour, translating wind to angular and velocity-based decision-making things. When, when I say I'm shooting a target at 700 yards, I'm shooting a target at 700 yards. I come up the value that's necessary to hit 700 yards. Most of us are looking at a ballistics calculator. Is it hard to click from mills to MOA? Hell no. It's telling you what to do. You write down what the Kestrel says. Who gives a shit if it says, come up 11 versus, you know, whatever. Um, you know, is it come up three or come up 11. When you're dialing it to three, your turret is clicking almost exactly the same clicks as the person that's coming up in MOA. Right. I mean, at that point, you're talking about maybe 10 more clicks, but but the deviation isn't isn't that much considering that it goes up um, at values that are pretty consistent one way or the other. So uh, I think it's pretty funny when I hear the Miller versus MOA, it, it makes me think of my experience shooting, thinking in mills, but still hitting, even though it's dialing an MOA and the fact that that like. I just don't think it makes a, a, a bit of difference whatsoever, right? When you go to a competition, you get your distance in yards, not meters. When you talk about miles per hour, you're talking about miles per hour, not meters per second. There's so many reasons why you wouldn't use a mill scope. And to top it off, people say, well, I was in the military and, you know, this is the system that we used. Um, I am pretty sure that the majority of military members don't use scopes uh, on their firearms like that. So I'm going to uh, bring on um, someone uh, to, to maybe kind of clarify how many, uh, how many people are actually dialing up in mill and MOA uh, turret-based scopes uh, 
in that context because I just don't think that that's a valid argument one way or the other. I think that you know it's perfectly fine if your friends have a system and you guys are going to have the same system. I mean, that makes 100% sense. You have a system, your friend has a system, you speak the same language. Yes, that language is different, absolutely, 100%. But the truth of the matter is you're sending something with mass at a certain speed encountering the effects of friction and gravity. That's it. That has nothing to do with Miller MOA, period. It has to do with physics. You're basically throwing a spitball and trying to calibrate something to predict where that spitball is going to be so that you can, you know, measure yourself against that in some one way or another or, or harvest some meat. Shooting itself has nothing to do with Miller MOA. And with a little bit of practice, I think that any shooter should probably be compatible and understand the language and the ability to cross-talk between people with those two systems. I think that a good and an experienced shooter should probably understand and be able to do that and be bilingual in MIL and MOA anyway, since a lot of our language already includes language and talk using both systems, right? Well, it used to be MOA, and now it's MIL for some people, but I can see a future where competitive shooters go back to MOA because of some of the advantages that you could get with MOA turrets and scopes but I'm not going to go there. I just thought it would be a fun time to share this experience that I had with you um, and point out the fact that I think it's a ridiculous argument. I think that it is a stupid waste of time to worry about it. Get something and go learn how to shoot. Get comfortable and familiar with your gear. Gear helps you, but it doesn't define you as a shooter. And as you grow, you're going to explore and you're going to be um, turned on and exposed to all sorts of cool avenues. And don't let, um, you know, the herd tell you what's right or wrong. Figure it out for yourself. I, I just, I hate the bullying that happens. I think it's ridiculous. I think it's amongst, you know, a small group of shooters that have a vocal dominance on the internet, but they are not the majority, right? So have fun. Uh, explore things, learn things, and don't get caught up in the weeds because um, that keeps you from getting the perspective that you need to grow as a shooter. Anyway, uh, fun, odd little talk here, but that's my stance on the mill versus MOA. It's complete garbage. <laughs>